Football is back in this Raven season. There are huge prizes to be won at Safeway. Enter Safeway's Flock In and Win sweepstakes, and you could win up to $10,000 cash or autographed Ravens merchandise. All you have to do is shop the participating items throughout the store and enter your codes from your receipt at SafewayFlockInAndWin.com. Safeway makes sure Ravens fans have all of their game day needs to tailgate or host like a pro. Stop in and discover why football is better at Safeway, the official supermarket of the Baltimore Ravens. For over 10 years, Grammarly has been powered by AI technology that you trust and rely on. With one click, you and your team can easily brainstorm, rewrite, and reply quickly with suggestions based on your context and goals. More than 30 million people rely on Grammarly to help them with their writing today. From important emails to send, cover letters to submit, or presentations to finalize, you'll be amazed at what you can do with Grammarly. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Welcome to Adventures in the Spirit with Jared Lasky. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and equipped through this podcast as we have conversations with friends from around the world. You can subscribe to our podcast and go to our website, firebornministries.com, and sign up for our email list to stay up to date on Fireborn Ministries. And may you have your own Adventures in the Spirit. And now we hope you enjoy today's podcast. Thank you so very much for joining into another adventure in the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you guys. I've got a free PDF download available for you. It's called Three Secrets to Dialogue with the Holy Spirit. We love the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, I would not be here today doing what he has me doing. And I want you to encounter him, to encounter Jesus, and to hear his precious voice. So that's why my wife and I put together that Three Secrets to Dialogue with the Holy Spirit. I know it will encourage you. And we've also got a, a number of other resources available on firebornministries.com. But today, guys, I, I want to encourage you guys to walk in God's power. And my special guest today is Bill Vanderbush, and he's got a podcast on the Charisma Podcast as well. He has a revelation of reckless grace. He walks in faith. He walks in power. And we're going to hear some of his stories today about how you can walk in victory and how you are a son, you are a daughter of God. So please help me welcome Bill Vanderbush to Adventures in the Spirit. Welcome, Bill. Hey, Jared. Thanks so much for having me on. What a pleasure. Well, it's it's an honor to have you on. Actually, a friend of mine had told me a while ago to connect with you, and uh, you'd launched a podcast on Christmas Podcast, and uh, to have you on about talking about our identity in Christ and walking in victory. And I know you've got some incredible stories of signs and wonders. So I do want to say thank you, Jimmy. You know, I put it in the back of my mind, Jimmy Schools. I put it in the back of my mind for a while, but eventually I was like, okay, I, I've got to do this. And so now we've got the opportunity to have Bill on here for this conversation. So Bill, I'd love to hear some of your story, how you came to Jesus and then start walking in power. Oh, wow. Well, I blame my, I blame my parents uh, really for introducing me to Jesus. I was born in uh, the home of missionary evangelist family and uh, was born actually on the road at a revival meeting which was fascinating. We just happened to be in Oklahoma and my mom went into labor and that's kind of how I, I came into the world. And so um, fast forward through the entire uh, uh, just crazy story. I, I was born into a Wesleyan Methodist household. And my parents had an, a radical encounter with the Holy Spirit and started seeing healing miracles wonders happen in their meeting. I became, uh, it grew up from that point on the word of faith group uh, was, was kind of a big deal. They worked with uh, Charles and Francis Hunter, the Happy Hunters back in the 70s. And so those guys were like grandma and grandpa to me. 
And then um, I went, uh, ended up going to Christ for the Nations uh, at the Bible College. My wife, we got married. I was 18. She was 19. So I was 30 years ago. And um, so we went to Bible school, thought, man, we're going to just be youth pastors. And, you know, that'll be just kind of the way we launched this thing out. I went to youth, youth pastor at an Assembly of God church in Austin, Texas, ended up senior pastoring that church. And um, so we were there for like a dozen years. And uh, from that point on, had a crazy encounter with God that led us uh, to a connection with uh, with Bethel Church out in Redding, California. From that point, um, I ended up actually moving here to Orlando, Florida, and for a time pastored a Presbyterian church. Um, I'm fast forwarding through a lot here, but uh, but anyhow, I just got a really eclectic background in such a wild, wild existence. And through all of it, watching the power of God just um, just blow up people's lives in the best way possible. So it's, it's been a, it's been a wild ride and just keeps going. Yeah. And then you have a, like a revelation of, I think you call it reckless grace. <laughs> and and I, I'm curious, you know, I, I know that you've got some resources on this, uh, but can you tell, kind of describe what reckless grace is? Because I, I want our, our listeners to be encouraged about God's grace and their identity in Christ. Yeah, well, a Reckless Grace came out of a sermon that I started preaching about a decade ago, and it really came, and it, it's good. I'm so glad you asked, because I, I wrote a new book called Unveiled Horizon, Reflections on the Nature of God. So I've been talking about that so much lately that uh, I haven't been able to talk about Reckless Grace a lot uh, recently. But Reckless Grace and Unveiled Horizon are, are kind of sisters, uh, in, in a sense. They're, there's, a, there's a real close kinship in, in those books, but the Reckless Grace revelation came out of a uh, stumbling across, you, you know how, Jared, we see these verses in the Bible and suddenly it's like you can see a verse you've seen your entire life and then you wonder, wait a minute, when do they put that in there? Like uh, there was a verse in John chapter 20 and verse 23 where Jesus has just risen from the dead and he has uh, appeared to his disciples and um, and then he, he does something he only does twice in the Bible and as he breathes on them. And when he does that, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And right after that, he says, whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whoever sins you retain, they are retained. And I was kind of just skirted by that verse because I, I didn't, I didn't understand it. And back in the day, I was, I would confine my, uh, my uh, meditating on things of scripture only to things I understood because I just didn't have any clue as to what in the world to do with that. And uh uh, and I felt like the Lord drew my attention back there one day and said, Bill, I want you to just, just look at this verse and just take it with face value. What would it be like if you believe the grace you give away actually mattered? And I thought, well, God, that's, I, I can't, that's, I'm not the source of grace. And he said, that's true. He's always the source. He said, but then the challenge was, you know, do I live in you? Do you believe that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God and that his spirit dwells in you? Well, that means the source of grace lives in you, which makes us a resource. And so I suddenly felt the weight of a responsibility to be a broker of the grace of God in a tangible way. And, and it really opened up a whole world of um, confronting people's costume-based identities, which is where I believe most sin comes from. We, we exercise uh, uh, actions that we would label as sin because we just don't believe who we are. And so there's some radical, there's definitely some radical theology behind it. it. It's not that we are free to sin, it's we're free from sin. But how free are we? You know, uh, John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Uh, the apostle John says he himself is a propitiation for our sins, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 9 says that Jesus Christ once and for all put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So this is, the, this is kind of maybe a radical statement to make, but I would say based on those three scriptures, it's pretty clear that in the new covenant, Christ has dealt with the sin issue. So what's the problem in the world today? I think we got an identity problem. We don't know who we are. And we don't know who we are because we, we don't know who he truly is, what he has truly done. So then when I go out and I preach and talk about this, I say, listen, you know, what is the responsibility that we have as the church to represent Christ, to point people to Jesus? And I think of like where Jesus said in John 3, he says, as Moses lifts up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. So he's pointing back to the story where the children of Israel grumbling and complaining and snakes come to start biting people and they're dying. Moses goes, God, what do I do? God says, make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, put it up in the middle of the camp. Anybody who just looks at it, just look at it, just see it. That's it. We'll be healed. You know, and, and if I'm Moses, I got questions like, you know, they have to ask, you know, like what, what's about the, how does this work? Like, what's the theology behind this? Like, no, apparently you just look at it. That's it. So let's say you got this guy and we'll call him Joe and he's, and he's like got three heartbeats left and he's ready to just keel over and die. He's got so much venom in his body. Now, out of the corner of his eye, he looks over and he sees this bronze serpent. All of a sudden, uh, he's healed. Now, what is his message now? He's a minister now. Uh, so what does he do? He points to his buddy Larry and says, Larry, look at that right there. doesn't say look at me. He says, look at that. Larry gets healed. Now that's the first ministry team. Now what do they do? They got one message. That's it. They don't understand it. They don't, they don't have a whole class of theology behind it. They haven't gone to school for this. All they know is when they looked at that, they got healed. So what are they telling everybody else to do? Look at that. And Jesus said, guys, remember that story back from the Old Testament? That's me. And so what we're doing really is we're saying, you know, to people, look at Jesus. And if you don't want to change, just don't look at Jesus, you know. But if you keep looking at Jesus, you will change. And so anyway, in a nutshell, reckless grace. Yeah, I love that. I mean, you said that we have an identity crisis. I think, and I've said this before, I think that the church world has been so focused on sin. Everything is about sin. And we kind of walk away like, I feel right. so gross, you know, like I'm, I'm right. just a sinner saved by grace. Actually, you're a son of God. You're a daughter of the king. Right. You, you right. have the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You've got all power. You know, Absolutely. you've got the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit in you, and we carry the kingdom everywhere. So I think the message for me, I want to focus on the goodness of God. I want to focus on the grace yeah. of God and, and walk in his power and be Jesus to other people everywhere I go. Um, so I, I honestly, just what you said the first 10 minutes, that was like, that's a grand slam, brother. <laughs> so uh, walking in God's power, I think that Christians need a revelation of who they are and whose they are in Christ. Right. And it tends to be a little self-focused, but we just need to be focused on him and know that it's his ministry through us. You know, he's the one directing us, guiding us and, and flowing through us. You can hear God's voice and prophesy. Every person with the spirit of God living in them can be used by God for entry-level prophecy. Entry-level prophecy is the starting point of an incredible adventure in hearing God's voice and prophesying. 
Prophecy encourages, comforts, and edifies people. And our heart is to equip and educate you to hear God and prophesy, walking it out as a lifestyle. And that's why we created Entry-Level Prophecy eCourse on CharismaCourses.com. Through this powerful e-course, you will be equipped to hear God and to prophesy. You will gain the necessary biblical understanding needed to take a step of faith and speak what you hear God saying to see people encouraged, comforted, and edified. In this course, you'll learn about the fruit of the Spirit, the character traits of God, how to receive and deliver a prophecy, how to judge a prophecy, and what foundation you need to prophesy, and what heart motivations are necessary to prophesy. When you enroll in this e-course, you'll also have access to bonus materials and our live coaching sessions. Go to charismacourses.com to purchase entry-level prophecy and learn how to hear God's voice and prophesy. So what do you think are some keys besides knowing our identity in Him? What are some keys do you think that we need to walk in His power and His love? Well, you know, it's it's the source resource thing. You know, we're just giving him room to do what we believe is, is in his heart to do. Uh, one of my favorite um, quotes from a dear friend of mine named Chris Gore, uh, somebody asked him, he's, Chris has probably seen just about more healing than just about anybody on earth, I think. Um, and somebody asked him, how do you heal the sick? And he says, super simple, I don't. I just give Jesus room to do what I believe is in his heart to do because absolutely convinced of his goodness. And when you give the Lord room to do what you believe is in his heart to do, when you know that he's good and you know that he's able, willing and able, and you just give him room, then you just sort of stand back and watch and he gets the glory. And, uh, I, I, you know, I think, you know, people will often say that, well, the key is, is faith. I used to think that too, but then I began to realize, well, Galatians 2.21 says we live by the faith of the son of God. So I don't have faith of myself in and of myself. I can't generate faith. I live purely by the faith of Christ. He supplies all of the faith I'll ever need because he supplies all of himself. So that means I have the faith of Jesus. So then what hinders me? And I think of the story of so Matthew 17 where Jesus and the disciples are having a conversation. They say, how come we couldn't cast the demon out of this kid? Jesus, Jesus says, because of your unbelief. I read that story one day and I looked at it and I thought, man, this is the key. This is the key to walking in a greater revelation of the power of God. It's not trying to have more faith. It's recognizing that the problem we carry is unbelief. You have the faith of Christ. How much unbelief do you have? As much as you want. And so he says, this kind comes out by prayer and fasting. I used to think it was the kind of like some boss level demon that didn't have to bow its you know, knee to the name of Jesus. But I don't think that's what he was talking about. When he says this kind comes out by prayer and fasting, I think he was talking about the unbelief. So a lifestyle of prayer and fasting in the new covenant is one of the ways we whittle away at unbelief to walk in the power of God. So I would say like this, prayer um, in the new covenant is recognizing your union with Christ, that he and you, no distance, no separation, are consistently one in spirit. When I'm aware of my union and I walk aware of my union with God, and I walk led by the Spirit, I am living a lifestyle of prayer. It's not walking around with my eyes closed or living on my knees or 24-7, you know, wailing at God, trying to impress Him with all my noise, my need, my kneeling and all that. It's literally walking as a lifestyle, knowing that there's no distance and separation between me and God. What about fasting? When my spirit is in charge, my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions are following the leading of the Spirit. My body takes up the last place on the uh, in the line. And my body now becomes a recipient of the life-giving power of the Spirit. When the Spirit is in charge, the body 
doesn't have a voice to lead anymore. And every now and then when the body says, you know, I wish I'd, I'd love that third slice of cheesecake, that'd be great. And the spirit turns around and goes, no, it's like a parent to a child. No, child's great, but children in charge is not a great thing. So parent turns to a child and says, no, this is what I think new covenant fasting is. It's not like 40 days of a hunger strike trying to twist God's arm, manipulate him, get to do what we think, you know, we want him to do. Every time your spirit tells your body, no, you are fasting. So people say, Bill, how often do you fast? Every day. I can tell you like at least five times today where I told my body, no, for something that it wanted that I know probably isn't going to serve me super great. I, I could also tell you about the two times I didn't say no. And that's, you know, that's, I'm just kidding. But any, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's a lifestyle we live of when we are walking in the spirit, we are living a lifestyle of prayer and we are living a lifestyle of fasting. And as you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the selfish desires of the flesh. When my flesh, which is the part of me that fears man and grapples onto fear so fiercely, when my flesh isn't in charge anymore, then I watch that mountain of unbelief whittle away. And I think unbelief comes at us through a number of different ways. We get unbelief through bad teaching. We get unbelief through offense. Things happen that, wow, we just don't understand why that happened. We have questions. And so now we're a little offended, maybe at God or other Christians. We build this mountain of unbelief. We have unbelief through just pure ignorance. We don't know what God's capable of. But every time we walk in the spirit, every time we see the moving of the power of God, we watch that mountain of unbelief whittle down until pretty soon it's like, I felt like the Lord said uh, said to me one day, you think of every hero you have in the faith, Bill. And it's not that, that they have more faith than you did. They just had less unbelief. And so I'm saying, you know, at this point now, I'm saying what the, the man of the, uh, with, the, with the, uh, the son who had the seizures said to Jesus, Lord, help my unbelief. That's the deal. Every time I encounter something, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, that seems impossible. I've just exposed a measure of unbelief that I still carry. And so, uh, yeah, that's, I guess that's some principles to walk in the power of God. We've seen so many cool miracles over the years. You would think that you see a miracle and it just, the unbelief is gone forever. And that's just not the way it works. Oh, I love that. I do want to talk about some miracles, but uh, you mentioned a, a word that I'd like to like hone in on, zero in on about our union with Christ. <laughs> I've never discussed that on, on here, but I've read all kinds of literature over the years and you know, um, all that, but what does union with Christ look like? And then after you're done with that question, jump into some miracle testimonies. Oh my goodness. That's my favorite topic. Uh, well, we've got to go to, to, to my, my favorite scripture, you know, if you can have a favorite, right? So this is, this is a verse that has defined my life for the last many, many years. And it's in John chapter 14 and verse 20. Where Jesus says, in that day, you will know I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Now, the day he's talking about in context of the whole chapter is when he's defeated death and when the Holy Spirit has come. So both of those things have happened. That means what he unveils there in John 14, 20 is available for us now. He says, in that day, you will know. And here's the revelation available. He says that I am in the Father. So we understand that Jesus and the Father are one says, and you are in me. Okay, so do I just assimilate into Jesus and like a, like a drop in the ocean and I just, you know, just morph into the collective and I sort of disappear? No. It says, I'm in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. In other words, you still matter. 
individually, every single one of us matter in this equation. So the revelation of union with God is really, it's, it's the revelation of, and, and this is a new phrase, this is a revelation I would call the revelation of the Christic covenant. It's the name, uh, a name I've given to the new covenant. Um, every, every covenant that's made is made between God and a person, right? So when the covenant with Abraham was made, we call it the Abrahamic covenant. Moses is the Mosaic covenant. David is the Davidic covenant, so on and so forth. We call the new covenant the new covenant because that's what Jesus called it. In Hebrews, it's called the better covenant. So some people have gone there with it. But I think when we don't attach a name to it, then it starts to feel like, man, we have the weight of responsibility to keep this thing. But the new covenant is actually made between God the Father and God the Son. And so because of that, um, now it's not, it, we didn't make the new covenant. It's not made with us. It's made between God the Father and the Son, and we are brought into Christ by his doing. It's 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. We're brought into Christ by his doing. So you didn't make the new covenant means you can't break it. It means it's unbreakable, everlasting. So that's what we call it the Christic covenant. Um, the study of theology, and, uh, Christ and theology is Christology. So in keeping with that tradition, we call it the Christic covenant because it reminds us that this is the covenant of Christ. Okay, now this, this, and this is where union becomes so huge. When people don't understand that we moved from an old covenant into a new covenant, they will look through the entire Bible as a reference point for how to live in order to have a relationship of closeness and intimacy with God. And when they don't realize that the cross and the splitting of the veil absolutely divided the old covenant system of distance and separation from the new covenant revelation of union, they'll go back and they'll borrow principles from the old covenant to try to somehow generate uh, some sort of closeness with God. So that you can see this throughout the, the body of Christ now. Everywhere I go, I run into people who are working to try to get closer to a God that actually is said to be living in them, which is fascinating when you stop and think about it. How much closer can you get than he's made us his home and not just a weekend getaway. He's made us the temple for his Holy Spirit's presence. So his indwelling in us is literally trans, transformed or metamorpho our identity changes us into something we were not before. Now, if we don't fully understand and realize that, then we will, as you said, we'll think, well, the best I can hope to be is a sinner saved by grace. A lot of people repeat this phrase now, but it, when you think all you are is a sinner saved by grace, then you will sin by faith because faith is just an exercise in belief. And when you believe that you are something that you're actually not, you'll return to a false identity as a reference point for how to do life which is why the sinner saved by grace mentality is thankful for the saving grace of Jesus, but lives life like this yo-yo, always in, out, in, out, based on what you do. Well, that's old covenant thinking. The old covenant was entirely based on what you do. The new covenant is entirely based on what Christ has done. Now, if, if I can't take any credit for it, that means I live with a lifestyle of thanksgiving and gratitude in everything. And when you're living a lifestyle in Thanksgiving, you're always in the will of God. So let's say like when I go into to pray for somebody or, or lay hands on somebody, I go in with an immediate Thanksgiving for the fact that the blood of Christ didn't just save me, doesn't just cleanse me, doesn't just keep me free from sin and darkness, but literally disempowered the forces of an enemy that seeks to steal, kill and destroy, including whatever's attacking this person's spirit, soul and body right now. 
So I go in with a thanksgiving that the answer has already been provided, not appealing to heaven to come down and like touch this person, but thanking God that he's already through his blood made atonement for this issue. And so now we just, we just, we're pointing people to Jesus. You know, something as simple as Jesus heals you. My dear friend uh, from Columbus, Ohio, Jim Baker, pastor of Zion Christian Fellowship, amazing healings happen in this church says this incredible phrase that if you're ever praying for the sick, it's probably worth remembering. And he says, you know, we just fill the earth, the, the air with so many words. He says, when you're praying for somebody, anything more than three sentences is unbelief. And it just struck me one day. I started realizing, oh my goodness, that's true. Just pray a quick prayer, give Jesus room to move, and then just stand back and watch. You know, like fireworks, light fuse, get away, you know, back up and just watch Jesus, you know, just explode goodness all over a person. That's just, I think that's just a beautiful way of putting it. And since I've started, you know, praying shorter prayers, not travailing so much in this, but simply thanking him for what he's already provided and, and just blessing the moment for what's about to happen. I start watching people get healed left and right. So easy. Why? Because we're just pointing people to Jesus. And so uh, I, you know, I think of I think of one of my favorite stories. I was in a church in the Northeast um, doing a, a conference at this is a huge gathering, and I'm up and talking about the goodness of God. I'm not talking about healing or anything. I'm just talking about how good He is, and how powerful His blood is, and how how He's changed our identity. And all and all of a sudden, I feel the Holy Spirit say, "Bill, I'm healing people. Pay attention," because I start noticing there's commotions going on. And I stopped and said, "Listen." Maybe uh, right now you came in this room with a measurable condition, tumor, pain, something broken, something, you know, something wrong that needs to be made right. I said, it, 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 check and see if it's still there. And, and if it's gone, if like the tumor is gone, scars are gone, pain's gone, something broken is now not broken anymore. I said, check and see if it's gone or if you realize you just got healed, would you like wave at me or stand up? First guy stands up, had a tumor literally dissolve in his body, and he's freaking out. Next person stands up. Next thing you know, within a minute, we've got about 65 people. I think they counted like 60, 64, 65 creative miracles that happened right there. And afterwards, I was talking to a, a, a spiritual father in, in faith, somebody I admire greatly. And I said, I don't understand. I was, it was, wasn't even supposed to be a healing service. At that point, the whole meeting was done. I mean, healing just broke out in the room and I just stood back and watched. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't feel responsible for any of it. You know, I, I, I didn't feel like I even facilitated anything. It's almost like God just interrupted everything I was saying, just crashed in on the room and that was it. It was like, I just, you know, pretty soon worship teams back up, people are crashing into the altars, uh, prayer ministry teams are up there. I mean, I was just done. And so I'm sitting down with this father of the faith and I said, I don't understand. I said, it was amazing. I, I just, I'm so glad that he did what he did today, but I, I just don't understand because I wasn't even talking about healing. There was no point for the power of suggestion to get in there and create some psychosomatic response. And he simply said this, he goes, what were, what were you talking about? The goodness of God, right? Yeah. I said, yeah. And he goes, well, what did you expect to manifest? And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, and, and you know, when I saw that, when I realized that, I thought, that's it. I'm not changing the message anymore. Uh, we've, we've been sin conscious for so long that we get up and we preach. We preach and rail against sin. I understand the motive behind it. 
But when we draw people's attention to darkness rather than light, when we draw draw people's attention to be more conscious of their sin than more than conscious of Christ's victory and his blood, what do we expect is going to show up? We're going to highlight people's uh, issues and struggles. And, and, and next thing you know, people walk out feeling discouraged, condemned, judged, uh, 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 cast out, uh, you know, like, like the outcasts, uh, even in the body of Christ. And so, uh, I, I've, I said, that's it. I'm not changing the message. It's all going to be on the goodness of God. That doesn't mean we don't confront sin. We do it differently though. It's, 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 that's not who you are. This is who you are. So let's point to who you are by pointing to Jesus. Cause as we behold him, we're changed. So anyhow, well, that's awesome. Fun stuff. That's the perfect time for us to point people to Jesus right now. Can you pray for people? Um, see what the Holy Spirit wants to do uh, for us to encounter Amen. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I, let's do it. Let's do it like a prophetic activation here for everybody who's watching. Just close your eyes right now, and uh, it's totally legal for you to imagine Jesus right there with you. Because where where can you find a place where He is not? Right. So I want you just to picture Jesus in front of you. Just see Jesus right there in front of you, and see the love in His eyes. See the see just the the, the radiance of delight on His face. Because he knew you before he formed you, and the preciousness of his thoughts over you outnumber all the sand, according to Psalm 139. And just from your heart, just in your own heart, because he can read and hear your thoughts, just ask him this question. Say, Jesus, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And just take a moment to listen and let him speak to you. You may have never asked the Lord that question before, but this is a day to ask that question. Who do you say that I am? Some of you may be hearing him say, you're my child, my son, my daughter, my beloved, my precious one, full of courage, full of my grace, worthy of my presence, worthy to be called a part of the family of God. You've been adopted born by blood and by the spirit into this family, more a part of this family than you could ever be of any earthly family. You belong in that place with me, seated on the throne in heavenly places with me. You are a broker of my grace. You are a healer of broken bodies. My power lives in you and you are worthy to carry that. And he'll say this and so, so much more over you. If you'll just take the time to ask him, who do you say that I am? And I tell you, with that one question, we can end the identity crisis in this nation, in this world. So Lord, I pray that as people begin to ask that question, Lord, as you begin to minister to people's hearts, God, may they just become aware of the reality of your presence and your goodness and the power of your Holy Spirit within and upon them right now. And God, I thank you that even right now you're healing bodies. Lord, that tumors and cancers dissolving and going away. The things that are broken are being made right. God, that there's grace coming upon people's hearts to release supernatural innocence over broken places within relationships. God, I pray for, for resolution, for conflicts. And Lord, may love and grace abound in the body of Christ once again. May we be famous for our love and make you famous for love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Amen. Wow. Um, the Holy Spirit, I was trembling. Wow. Jesus told me you're my son, and I've called you for such a time as this. Thank you so very much, Bill, for... Wow. Man. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank, Thank you, you Lord. So, Bill, what is the best way for people to get a hold of you for more information? Uh, then go to, to BillVanderbush.com. There's all kinds of resources that are on there. I think, uh, you know, for more of pretty much everything I've talked about, there's two major resources that I would point people to. Uh, one is the book Unveiled Horizon, Reflections on the Nature of God. It's available on Amazon right now. Uh, the other one is uh, a study that I've done with a dear friend of mine, a 40-year veteran of pastoral ministry named Don Wallabaugh, and just a spiritual father to so, so many people uh, like Dan Moeller and Todd White and whatnot count Don as their pastor and spiritual father in many ways. Uh, Don, Don and I put together a, a course on the New Covenant, the Christic Covenant, from the book of Hebrews. And it's available at hebrewsstudy.com and 21 videos. They're each about 30 minutes long. And we just go verse by verse through the book of Hebrews in a way that'll just, it'll transform you, blow your mind. And, um, and it's a name your own price study. So we don't want finances to be a hindrance here. We really feel like this is such an important thing for the body of Christ to get right now. Uh, and so we made that available for anybody who wants it. And it's just at Hebrews with an S study.com Hebrews study.com. So that's one of the best resources people can get right now. Awesome. Well, thank you so very much for being my special guest today and for leading us in that activation. I want to encourage people to reach out to Fireborn Ministries and also to Bill Vanderbush about what Jesus did in you while listening in or viewing this episode. Share this, share it on social media, text this podcast episode to someone, you know, that will be blessed. And um, also subscribe to Adventures in the Spirit and also to Bill's podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network. It's called Reckless Grace with Bill Vanderbush. It's loaded with all kinds of truth nuggets just like this. This was 30 minutes, just 30 minutes. But this is hours upon hours upon hours of prayer revelation. I mean, just uh, identity in Christ and keys for you to walk in God's power. So share this episode. Thank you. Bill, for being my guest on Adventures in the Spirit. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you so much for listening to our conversation in Adventures in the Spirit. We hope that this podcast encouraged and inspired you to press into Jesus and launches you into your own adventure. You can stay up to date with Fireborn Ministries by going to our website, firebornministries.com, and like us on Facebook. And may you have your own Adventures in the Spirit. From iHeart Podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, tells the story of the unlikely champions behind the landmark case, Roe v. Wade. Starring Maya Hawk as 26-year-old lead attorney, Sarah Weddington. We're challenging the Texas abortion laws in federal court. And Academy Award nominee, William H. Macy, as Supreme Court Justice, Harry Blackman. Time is not the most important factor. Getting it right is. Listen to the podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts.